now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on April 20th, 2022. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us for the Wednesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson filling in for Rob Hart. Well, shares of streaming giant Netflix tumble after the company reports a loss of subscribers for the first time in a decade. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the March report on home prices tops today's data. We're joined by Bob Brusca, chief economist at Fact and Opinion Economics in New York. Bob, what are we seeing with these numbers? Because it feels like the latest in a list of ongoing troubles for the housing market. Yeah, well, you know, housing has been doing very well. It's been very strong, and it's inevitable that it was going to be set back. But the Federal Reserve uh, talking about and finally raising interest rates and mortgage rates uh, moving up and going up above uh, 5% for the first time in a while, that's sticker shock to a lot of people. But uh, you're speaking to a person whose first mortgage was 13%, so 5% still seems pretty reasonable to me. <laughs> I, that's understandable. You know, we, I've had that same conversation. And just to point out this report, that sales were down about 4.5% compared to the same period in March of 2021. So I'm guessing that this is just, uh, as you mentioned, we, we sort of earlier in the housing market, we saw that there was low supply, high demand, and that seemed to be working. But now we're still seeing low supply, but maybe not as much demand. Yeah, well, you know, people are uh, well. Housing prices are high, and so that that's a hard hurdle for people to get over. They've got to come up with a big down payment to to buy a house, and now on top of it, you know, the mortgage interest rates are going up. And so, when you pay a high price and then you pay a high mortgage rate, your your monthly payments go up pretty sharply. And people are dealing with this, and there's come, there's getting to be some resistance to price. So the mortgage rates are going to continue to go up, and this is going to put some downward pressure on on prices eventually. Uh, it doesn't happen in, immediately because you know you sell your house, and you know you, somebody else puts their house on the market. They want to get the same price you got. They've got the same kind of house or in the same neighborhood, and all of a sudden they're not getting the same offers, and they're res- resistant to that. So you know it takes a while for uh, the market to come to terms with these changing conditions. And even for homeowners who have a bit of equity, this market is tough. But may, I'm thinking about first-time home buyers. This just seems so unattainable between the high interest rates and the home prices where they're at. Well, yeah, there's that aspect of it. And then, too, there's the fact that the economy is slowing. And although the job market is tight, you know, people are talking about recession. You know, and If you're thinking of getting in the housing market for the first time, do you want to get into a house where you have no equity to start with? All you have is your down payment. And prices may be under pressure. You could find out your equity is wiped out within a year because prices go down. And then suppose you lose your job or something terrible happens, and now you've really lost your down payment. Now maybe you're going to lose your house or you're going to lose your credit rating. I mean, it's, it's a risky time to be buying a house, partly because of the circumstances in the economy, but also because of just the internal dynamics for housing. The prices are high. The mortgage rates are going up. Do you see this scale tilting backward anytime soon? Uh, well, I think there's going to have to be some resolution. I think housing prices are going to have to you know, plateau and come down a little bit here. And after that, it depends on, <coughs> excuse me, depends on how mortgage rates uh, shake out. And that's going to depend on how quickly inflation goes down. If inflation doesn't go down uh, very quickly, then these mortgage rates are going to stay here and they may even rise further. Thanks so much, Bob Brusca, Chief Economist at Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Coming up, Netflix dealing with a surprising drop in subscribers. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. 
Well, it's a rough day for Netflix as its stock price uh, following a first quarter report that shows a steep decline in customers. We're joined by Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertair Group here in Chicago. Tim, not great news for Netflix, not great news for streaming services in general. Probably not, Rachel, but uh, there's obviously going to be some silver linings out of all this. As, mo- as most of your uh, loyal listeners to the Noon Business Hour may know and have heard me uh, uh, go on and on over the years about uh, the streaming industry and stuff, uh, they've probably remember me saying uh, four or even five years ago that there was an inevitability of Netflix uh, having to deal with and think about and construct a concept around advertising uh, as part of their business model. And that time is, you know, maybe a little later than maybe originally assumed has finally come. Um, and it was all predicated on the eventuality of them tapping out of, of growth uh, in terms of how many new users they could bring to the table, uh, how much pricing power they had to raise uh, the monthly subscription fee, which they've just done over the last number of months, and frankly, the attractiveness of, of advertising as a subsidy for potential subscribers who might be put off by $16 a month, but might be intrigued by $7 a month, let's say, with advertising, which, by the way, a lot of new competitors over the last couple of years, Disney Plus and uh, Peacock and and Paramount Plus and and on and on and on, have come to market literally with an advertising component baked in. So this is kind of a reckoning, but uh, if if anybody's been paying attention to the space for some time, it's not a total surprise, although Wall Street seems to be flabbergasted that, my God, Netflix could actually stop growing and, 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 and the like. But. Not Netflix. No, I know. Uh, but, you know, here's the other thing is regardless of if Netflix adds advertisements, it's reporting its loss of subscribers for the first time in 10 years. And, and I have to think that that is an indication that we're starting to move out of the house. The pandemic restrictions have eased and this is just going to, you know, no one's really staying at home all that much anymore. No, I, I, look, I think that's part of it for sure, Rachel. I think, um, uh, you know, but also putting my Chicago Booth Business uh, School hat on, uh, there's a thing called price elasticity, right, which is, you know, uh, Netflix is not immune to uh, raising uh, prices and not and have not necessarily being able to have that stick with consumers. I mean, people are price sensitive. Inflation has made a dent in all kinds of things, including discretionary spend on entertainment. And a, a price rise uh, pushed through a couple of months ago uh, shows that Netflix is not uh, invulnerable to uh, people questioning how many streaming services they want. Right? There are a lot of good choices now besides Netflix these days, uh, how much they're willing to pay and um, uh, the overall cost of, of living relative to all of that. So they're not invincible, I think it's well, and there's certainly a limit to what people are willing to pay, as seen with Netflix now uh, seeing a steep decline in its customers. Thanks so much, Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertair Group here in Chicago. Up next, a local grocery chain is being sold to a private equity firm. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Grocery chain Tony's Fresh Market, which has 18 Chicago area locations, is changing hands. Let's get the details from Ali Marathi, restaurants and retail reporter at Crane's Chicago Business. Ali, who's taking over? Yes, it's New York private equity company Apollo Global Management. And they also have a stake in Jewel Osco Parent Albertson. So they're not unfamiliar with the Chicago grocery market scene. But it does sort of mark the end of an era because Tony's, I mean, that's been family owned for, what, more than 40 years? 
Right. Yeah, it was founded by two Italian immigrants in 1979. The first location was on Fullerton Avenue in Central Park, and that location is still there. And, uh, you know, the family's been running it ever since, and they're going to stick around, I'm told. Um, You know, Tony, who is the founder, he will be stepping away from day-to-day operations, moving into kind of a board member role. And then his son, Frank, uh, will continue as CEO and continue running the business. So I think that's something that you know, a lot of people, when they hear private equity companies are coming in, they kind of wonder what changes will be made. Um, I'm told that the main changes are going to be that, you know, this private equity firm wants to help them expand and open new locations. So that's something I'll be watching to see if, um, you know, they continue to do that and if they make main cha- any major changes in the stores. Tony's is also known for having a really big kind of, um, you know, product offering that caters to um, ethnic populations, international foods that changes from location to location, depending on the communities that they're in. That's something that Apollo said they really liked about Tony's as well. And they thought would kind of, you know, translate well to more locations. Well, some of these smaller grocery chains, too, have felt a lot of pressure recently to invest more in e-commerce. Is that something that you anticipate we'll see more of from Tony's? Yeah, I think so. And you're totally right, right? Like the pandemic, grocery shopping was really one of those things that pre-pandemic, it was one of the last bastions of in-person shopping that hadn't gone completely online, even though you saw the Amazon entrance with Whole Foods and everything. Um, But during the pandemic, that changed. People got a lot more comfortable buying online. And it's something that experts say will consumers will continue to do. Um, And so it's one of those things where if you're a grocery store and you're not offering Uh, e-commerce options, you're falling behind. So I think it's probably something we'll see, you know, continue from them. You mentioned that Apollo Global Management has also has its hand in uh, Jewel Osco's parent company, Albertsons, uh, now acquiring Tony's Fresh Market. Is this uh, just a continuing trend? Are we going to see more family-owned grocers get snatched up this way? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, uh, Apollo, they also, um, they were telling me, I just got off the phone with them earlier, they were telling me that um, they also used to have an investment in Sprouts uh, Farmer's Market, which we don't have any in the Chicago area, but that was a family-owned company that they also invested in and then eventually exited from after they helped it grow a little bit. They had an, a few other companies that were family-owned groceries that they had invested in. So for them, it definitely is a trend. Um, you know, Otherwise, I think here in Chicago, we still have a really, really rich uh, landscape of family-owned and, and small independent chains of grocery stores. And even if you're looking at some of the other kind of convenience stores and upscale convenience stores uh, in the Chicago area, we're seeing a lot of those expand too. If you think about Foxtrot, I mean, that's not necessarily family owned. They they have a venture capital backing them, but, um, you know, companies like that, that are just kind of going wild these days. And a lot of it has to do with pandemic uh, trends that are probably going to stick around. Thanks so much, Ali Marathi, restaurants and retail reporter for Cranes Chicago Business. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, weighing the pluses and minuses of the traditional and Roth IRAs. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A key city in Ukraine is now moving closer to falling under Russian control. In Personal Finance Wednesday, deciding whether a traditional or Roth IRA is best for you. Plus, curb appeal is key in getting the best price when selling a home. We'll learn about some of the most important areas to address. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed this hour. The Dow is up three. 
327 points. The S&P 500 up 14, though the Nasdaq is down 93 points. AccuWeather says cloudy skies and cool temperatures today with a high of 53 degrees. Rain is possible this afternoon and early tonight with a low 49. Then the sunshine returns tomorrow, bringing with it a high near 70 degrees. It's 12.31. The situation's growing more desperate as a Russian bombardment pounds the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol. More from CBS's Charlie Dagada. Drone footage shows a city torn apart after weeks of bombardment. Residential neighborhoods flattened. Beneath the Azovstal iron and steelworks plant, women and children huddle together in bomb shelters, too terrified to attempt an escape. A Ukrainian Marine makes a desperate plea. We're facing our last days, if not last hours. The enemy outnumbers us 10 to 1. And the enemy is closing in fast. Meantime, Japan has formally revoked Russia's most favored nation trade status over its invasion of Ukraine. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As mentioned, the markets are mixed this hour. We're joined by Nick Rach, CEO of the Earnings Scout, based in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Nick, we're seeing a lot of, uh, I'll call it concern over streaming services, sparked by Netflix, but it's also translating to others like uh, Disney Plus, Paramount. Let's talk about that. It definitely carries over, and you know the uh, amount of money they can make, and it's there are also the p- pandemic plays where a lot of people are in. It's uh, we start to get back out. Uh, the streaming services may not get as much, and uh, the streaming services may not be getting as much money from people that share the passwords as well. So a lot of these have seen their earnings momentum really start to turn negative over the past year. And I'm talking earnings momentum, their estimate revisions on a rate of change basis getting weaker and weaker, and their stock prices are following that trend. You mentioned that people are getting out of the house more. Maybe we're not going to see as much impact with streaming services. With these restrictions easing, we're maybe shifting away from goods back to those in-person experiences. Is this also going to translate to the retail sector? You, you would think it's going to be probably slow to, to translate um, to the profits for the retail sector. Uh, but people will get back out. It will be lumpy. Uh, but we're not quite seeing... Uh, huge benefits outside of energy right now within the earnings uh, picture within the S&P 500. Most of the estimate trends are weakening, uh, albeit from inflationary pressures, the supply chain issues, and the potential for higher interest rates from the Fed. Uh, After the bell today, I believe we're expecting an earnings report from automaker Tesla. Uh, We're we're seeing uh, reports, obviously we know that there's a chip shortage, but also lithium batteries affecting production for other uh, EV producers. What do you expect to hear today? Well, for Tesla, it's had positive revisions as the momentum's starting to slow. It's nowhere near uh, as negative revisions as what Netflix had going into its earnings report uh, last night. But Tesla's still a very high-risk, high-reward stock. Um, and we're also going to not only hear from Tesla, we'll hear from others like Lamb Research. We want to hear those in CSX tonight as well. So uh, we're just now getting into the thick of earnings season. Uh, and the overall picture, Rachel, uh, looks a little bit like this. We're seeing uh, most companies beat estimates, but relative to where we've seen in the past, a little bit less than normal companies beating estimates. And we're definitely seeing the growth on the top and bottom lines really start to slow pretty rapidly here versus where we were last quarter and the quarter before that. We're also seeing a lot of earnings growth in energy. 
that's where it's at right now. So if there's an area of earnings growth and the best revisions, it's coming within the energy sector. Uh, I did a report to clients this morning uh, showing that the earnings estimates for the overall S&P 500 are actually going up for the second quarters through fourth quarter of this year. And that's a good thing. However, if you exclude just Marathon Petroleum and Valero Energy, just two companies out of 500, the estimates would actually be falling. That's how much the uh, earnings estimates are going up for oil refiners and other energy-related companies right now. Here's something else that I find interesting. I want to sort of touch base. Procter & Gamble was able to raise its prices. Does that set the tone for others? Is it a fluke? For a company that you want to invest right now, given the inflationary pressures that are high, you want to have companies that have that pricing power that can pass it on. Procter is a name that we love because it has stable vision, solid growth, pays a nice dividend. Uh, those are companies we like. But the companies that can't pass on those prices, that don't have that pricing power in any environment, but particularly this one, you want to avoid. Also expecting uh, reports this week from uh, United Airlines. And I know that we've sort of seen, uh, this was yesterday, all we talked about was that the federal mask mandate lifted on transit. Is that going to translate into what United, I know it's an earnings report, but I still think there might be some optimism there about the return of travel this spring and summer. Yeah, you're seeing that Delta reported very good numbers last week. It was the best performing stock in the S&P 500, Delta Airlines, United's tomorrow, American Airlines and Alaska Air are also going to report in the morning. And I've got to believe that the mask mandate, although it might not lead to a huge boost in sales, people might be more comfortable on the flights that want to go, and maybe that will get some extra tickets back on for those marginal consumers that was reluctant to get on. So that should definitely be a benefit for the airlines. But the one thing that could negate that would be if we see these rising fuel costs, if they haven't hedged those correctly, uh, because that will crimp costs. And we need to see the commodity prices actually start to come down Uh, The Fed needs to see those prices come down. Otherwise, inflation will be sustained for a high time, and the Fed's going to have to tighten more than even what's anticipated by the market. Again, United Airlines and Tesla both expected to report their earnings after the bell today. Thanks so much, Nick Rach, CEO of the Earnings Scout, based in Cleveland, Ohio. His website, earningsscout.com. Up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, we'll help you decide if a traditional or Roth IRA is best for you. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, sponsored by Thrivent. And when deciding on an individual retirement account, you can go either the Roth or traditional route. So let's see what you need to do and what you need to take into consideration. Joining us is Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago. Ed, how do I decide what path to take, Roth or traditional? Great question, Rachel. And I think the best way to start with is trying to understand what you're trying to accomplish in the future. So your listeners have to remember that a traditional IRA, you get an upfront deduction for your taxes. But when you start taking money out in your retirement years, you have to pay taxes on all the monies that you take out. Converse that with a Roth IRA where you make an upfront contribution, but it's not tax deductible. But at the end, that money could come out tax free. So when you're trying to figure out one or the other, a lot of has to do with the focus on what your after tax level is going to be upon retirement. I think it also has to do with what your tax rates, whether it's going to be higher or lower in the future. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's just trying to figure that out. But ultimately, what we found over my career is that being in control of your taxes is really important. And what, again, your listeners have to realize, if you're contributing to a traditional IRA, after age 72, you have to take a required minimum distribution, which is a certain percentage of the account value. You have to take that out. And you don't have a choice, which could exasperate taxes on the back end. Or that Roth IRA, the great part about that is you never are forced to take a required minimum distribution. And the monies that you take out in the future are tax-free. So even though you might be in a lower tax bracket in the future, looking at one or the other, the Roth is tending to be a little bit better in regards to after-tax results uh, in retirement. If we're talk- That's retirement. But what if I'm just looking to- for savings? I want to save as much as possible. Is that still applicable? Yeah, really good question. So you've got to be very careful that if you're contributing to either a Roth IRA or traditional IRA, you have to realize that there's not only taxes involved, but also penalties involved. If you take monies out before 59 and a half, you have to be aware that there's a 10% penalty potentially associated with either one of those. There are some flexibilities in regards to first-time home purchases and qualified education expenses along with birth or adoption, but ultimately you have to be really careful to look at these accounts and these assets as longer-term investments. How Does this ever happen with, with your clients where they'll have this traditional IRA and, oh no, I'm not, I'm not 59 and a half and I really need to tap into it and man, I just have to eat that penalty fee? Yeah, we work very closely with clients. If there's a cash demand need, we're always trying to figure out ways of getting the most effective after-tax monies. So yes, if a client is really stuck in a bad situation, we'll look at other assets, other areas in terms of being able to get those funds into your hands without the onerous penalties and taxes. But yes, from time to time, that's unfortunate. But again, getting a good financial plan can help you navigate that and, and seeking out a certified financial planner by all means can help you navigate if you need those monies early. Thanks so much, Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group here in Chicago. The website, engagewealthgroup.com. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come, the role of curb appeal when selling a home. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Sellers looking to get the best price for their home can take some basic steps to boost their bottom line. Let's hear from Steve Kirch, real estate editor at Market Watch in Chicago. Steve, a little goes a long way. Uh, good afternoon, Rachel. That's true. Even in a seller's market where you might think you can just throw anything on the market and, and it's going to get scooped up, uh, it can pay for home sellers to put some money into their home ahead of time. Number one on that list, as it has been for generations, the realtors always tell you curb appeal. That first look at a house is what's going to stick with buyers and potential buyers. So you want to have your front door and your front yard and your front of your house spruced up, whether that means painting or power washing. Uh, You've put in a few new plants or even just a a planter, hanging plant that you might get at the Home Depot store. Uh, That first impression is going to make a big difference on those those folks. The other thing I think people look at when they're inside of a home, two things come to mind, kitchen, bathroom. And you don't necessarily need to remodel, but maybe it's just updating some hardware or light fixtures, little things like that. Absolutely. Kitchens and baths are, are top indoor home sellers. Uh, one thing you can do that doesn't take a whole lot is just brighten up, lighten up 
those spaces. Make sure that you're getting a lot of good light. Have your windows washed. Put a, a new flower display up there. Uh, if you're in the winter, you might bake cookies. Uh, put a nice smell, aroma throughout your house. All those things can play on home buyers' emotions, and, and those can be things that stick with them when they go back to contemplate how much they want to offer on your home. I also think that uh, having a high energy efficient home could be a major selling point as well, whether that be like a, a Nest thermostat, a Google Home, something like that. I know my dishwasher is Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, home efficient, energy efficiency uh, is becoming obviously more and more of a key. Those improvements, you can just a simple audit maybe only cost you 100 or 200 dollars or your utilities will often come out and give you some ideas you might not have to spend a lot like you might not have to replace all your windows but there can be some of those suggestions uh, that that can for a lower price help with that energy efficiency again some very manageable tips thanks so much steve kirch a real estate editor at market watch in chicago you'll find our past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at wbbmnewsradio.com as well as on the odyssey app